Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I am here with the Cookmaster, Nick. Cookmaster? That beats whatever you called me last time. I don't remember. It was a yummest. There was nothing wrong with the yummest. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, I'll take it. Cookmaster's a bit over the top, but I'll take it. I mean, maybe like Foodmaster, maybe, I don't know if there's one that can reference the amount of food I'm capable of ingesting. I can eat a lot, but uh, whatever, whatever floats your boat, Michael. I don't think you're awake enough to put your words together in a, in a perfect I don't even know. I'm not awake enough here. It's morning and we are trying to struggle to get down through the day. I am out of coffee. My French press Ooh. is empty. Yeah, I'm very not happy with that, but I'm here. Let's try to put something together. And I'm late because I had to wait for my coffee to brew and I knew I was going to need it. My voice is still this stuffy, sniffly, yucky voice like it just was on the last short. So I'm trying to clear it out so that we could have this conversation. And I'm not just a bass tone through the whole show. Michael, you're a Nazarian. We are just a bass tone throughout the whole show. Even <laughs> when we're being excited and over the top, we our voices, because they're very similar at times, have like three octaves that they travel on. We have a condescending octave, which means we talk like this. It's very flat, very to the point. We're concise, and people understand that we're right and they're wrong just by the tone of our voice. Then we have the joking tone, which is a little higher pitch. We have like we have a good time. We talk, you know, we're, we're cracking jokes. And then we have this like this weird combination of both where it's like, right, well, that happened, which is more of a how we refer to stupid people after they're done running in their mouth. Like, it's just, it's all we have. It's all we get. Like, it's it. We, we don't that's our total toolbox it really is i mean like for a long time i wanted to be a voice actor and then i realized no matter how many impressions i learned how to do i still sounded like me doing an impression but that was a problem <laughs> i've always criticized my own voice until the podcast so i don't know if my voice is changing to have a podcast voice or a radio voice or if it's just this is how we sound and no matter what that's how we're gonna sound so i from a long time ago i almost said at an early age but i think i was still older than 21 uh your friends used to tell me all the time that i had like this deep booming voice and i should be an announcer and i should you know do radio and all this happy horse pucky and then recently at, at work we had the announcer for the montrose football games come in and they're like hey you could be my stunt double and i was like oh okay because that makes sense the fact of the matter is, is that our voices exist in a like a, a, an audio spectrum where most voices don't. So they do carry further and with a little bit of extra push and uh, projection. Our voices do sound like booming to a point, but I, I don't necessarily know if I ever had a future. I just can't see myself be like, today we find out what's really going on. Is your hair getting longer or is your scalp getting shorter? News at 11. I, I just don't see it happening. <laughs> gotcha. Well, hey, never stop dreaming. We can always we can always accomplish anything, right? If that were true, I'd be thin by now. <laughs> so I think before we start, there's a story that probably has to be told. Not that I like to be mocked on a regular basis, but I recently had to give you feedback on Soulbox <laughs> food. Oh gosh. Which I, I keep ordering, so uh but it was mentioned that there was a certain one that I didn't like as much as others. Do you want to elaborate? Because you've TikToked it. You have Facebooked it. You have told everybody else except for this community. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. 
Oh, absolutely. And I will, I will, I will cash the opportunity in. Um, and I do want to clarify before I get into further detail, when he says mocked consistently or whatever verbiage you used, it's, I'm, I, it's not that I won't necessarily let that die. Although I do beat that drum when I have the opportunity, everyone else practically agrees with me, except for a small vocal minority of people that are in our, our social groups because they don't have taste or palates. So essentially one of the more popular items that I've, I've cooked throughout my entire life has always been beef tips. Now, when I say beef tips, some people think of it as like steak tips, which are overcooked hunks of steak and gravy, which some people really like and to each their own. That's not what I make. I make roast beef tips. So they're super tender and they're really moist and they're, they're so tender that if you pinch them between the roof of your mouth and tongue, they just dissolve into your mouth of happiness. It's just wonderful. Michael did not like the, his exact words were the texture of the beef and the flavor of the gravy. Now, that is not necessarily feedback as much as it is as saying, that's gross, I don't like it. That's really what he said in a nice way. And I I thought about it, and normally I'm very, uh, I'm not going to say sensitive. I take criticism seriously because even though I know everyone does have different palates, we some things are are merited and some things aren't you know do you like not like my food because your palate is just so much different than mine or did i really do something wrong truthfully that normally comes in in you know with seasoning you know is my food too salty or not salty enough and and you'll see that commonly with like smokers and people that that do a lot of stuff like that if you will they tend to require more seasoning on their food because their their senses aren't quite as attuned as someone who doesn't and so that's what i'm used to getting feedback on no uh my my beef was too tender and that is I, it was it was hilariously funny to me and i i do value the feedback i do and i am sorry that it is turned into what it's turned into but um <laughs> i've never in my life gotten that ever like ever gotten that Am I never? <laughs> I can't get over it. <laughs> well, and remember, guys, I am not an amazing cook. Okay, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to use the word chef. Like I have a hard enough time just keeping people fed with food that they will eat. Jameson had to tell me at one point, moisture belongs in chicken. So that tells you the evolution of that I'm going through to be able to feed the family. What I can tell you is, when I sit down to eat, I immediately grab a bunch of random other flavors because the things I make don't always have it. So I grab salt, I grab pepper, I grab all these items here. So when I go to eat, I can flavor it. That's the one thing I don't do with your food. It doesn't matter if it's the Alfredo, which I love. It doesn't matter if it's the meatloaf. And I know we're not supposed to be eating large amounts of beef and meat, but I can do it with smaller amounts because even the gravy is delicious for the meatloaf. The fact is, is that I don't season it now. So I found one that maybe everybody else enjoys, but me, but I have found several that I love. All right. I'm letting the cat out of the bag. It's the same gravy, Michael. (laughs) It does not seem like the same gravy. I cook the beef for four hours and take the juice and make the gravy. It's the same gravy. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think it the same way. It's seasoned the same way. It can be a placebo effect because I just like meatloaf and I don't get it very often. So maybe that's a thing. I, I don't know, but I, I will tell you something I, I have realized throughout this process. And, and Soulbox is still new. It's still in its infancy. Like it's a baby and I'm, I'm nursing her until I can, you know, kick her out of the nest. But the one thing I've realized is that the amount of people that give me positive feedback on the dishes I mean, it's, it's great. It's positive, but it's always on things I don't expect. It's, it's always the seasoning, like literally 
it is oh my god the flavors are so clear and i'm like i just made food taste like food so essentially what i'm saying is like i don't i don't overkill it i don't believe in pantry cooking and pantry cooking is what i mean like when i when i'm telling you that like i don't like a 50 flavors on my chicken like i don't like i want my chicken to taste like chicken i want my beef to taste like beef like oh my god what'd you put on this this pork salt like i like <laughs> i like my right. food to taste like what it's in in meant to uh, marco Piero white said the more you do to food the more you take away from it and i agree with that i just uh, it astonishes me the amount of people that that don't i i don't want to say can't cook because i've never eaten what they've prepared so i i don't want to be that judgmental and i also think it'd be rude and, and ignorant of me to, to, to do that but i will say that i think people look at food in a more complicated light i think that they're, they're they look at it as like this puzzle that they need recipes and, and equations to solve and man flavors are like legos you build what you like as far as i'm concerned like if you know what beef tastes like and you know what salt tastes like and you know what garlic tastes like you don't need a new recipe to tell you what they taste like together like if you have an imagination and you have a memory you can put flavors together in your head and never actually have to make the dish so anyways that's the way my brain works that's how i cook so if if it's a bunch of things i know how they work and i, I why do i need to make this recipe i know exactly how it's going to turn out and when i'm doing food at least for me for my family like i'm always surprised how how quickly too much of something ruins a dish like always no matter what i've been doing this for 20 years and i'll be like just a touch more salt and then i but let's say I'm having an ignorant day and let's say it's Alfredo sauce, which is something I can make with my eyes closed. Something simple. It's like a three minute pan sauce. If I buy the wrong type of Parmesan, they, it could be really salty. Like that stuff goes from like, like it's like the cream, everything is just beautiful. And then I add the cheese to it and it's like, oh my God, what did I do to this? It's an atrocity. <laughs> Throw it away. Okay. Food rant done. Well, you're going to be happy because we're going to talk about food just in uh, a different light. So I wanted to tell the story, first of all, because it's been told to everybody else. It's found to be very, very funny and that uh, we might as well share it with the greeting community. But I want to talk about what I saw with some of our friends from forward when they went to New York, because anytime I get to know a new group, they when they run across things that they know I'm going to enjoy, I start getting photos which I love, by the way. So if any of you are out traveling and see really cool sustainability factors or something you think is interesting for cities, take pictures, send them to me, because that's what they do. And I'm on a Discord server with the Forward Party leadership for multiple states, and the Arizona leader started sending me photos by the time he got there. One of them was a food scrap collection site where... People could bring their organics, not the meats, of course, but any of their plant-based organics where they're out in the city streets with multiple trash cans, large trash cans, collecting scrap lettuce and the scraps from all your vegetables, just out like under a tent in the city streets. Hmm. I like that. So what, what do they do with it, though? Do they com compost it? Do they? Yeah, they're creating nutrients. So what they're doing is they're they're hoping to collect as much of that material that would usually be thrown into the city trash cans and compost it and they can turn it into really rich organic soil and that organization as i was looking it up uses that it's a nonprofit, so it uses it to help local farms okay so they can till that in or lay it over the top if there are no till okay which very few are no till i know 
but I liked the concept and I started thinking about it. And you know me, I'm going to sit there and dwell on things for far too long. The moment I see them, I wonder how much of the food scraps, this is people grabbing salads and different things locally, restaurants coming over with bags of it and dumping it in. I wonder how much of that stuff we could collect in a city like New York or Chicago or, or Miami and how much nutrient we could put back into our soil. Because remember, we're looking at 40, 50 years of you know peak production left in our, our soil for nutrients, our topsoil. That was a really cool idea. But could that be done here, per se? Could we get trash cans at the, at the handful of restaurants to make sure they're throwing the right things in? And could we turn that into the compost that we already create here in Durand? Remember, right after Edible Landscape, we started collecting all the leaves and all, all this organic material. Instead of throwing it out, we now have a compost uh, here in, in the city. Could we do that? And could we really help local farmers? So I think that in Durand, you are uniquely poised to actually put this together and test it because you are surrounded by farmland. And I think that unlike where I live, because you're so surrounded by farmland that a lot of it is um, undeveloped and it's still it is treated as farmland, whether it's farmed commercially or privately is irrelevant. It is farmland. I think that it wouldn't be out of line to reach out to a couple of farmers and say, hey, I have this idea. If I can get enough vendors, um, I'm using the word vendor in terms of uh, you know restaurants and, and food service professionals you know, on board to try this. Will you will you take part in the study and give it a shot? Because, I mean, obviously we know that composting food is going to have a net positive for the soil. We know it's going to put nutrients back in. That's how that's how the circle of life works. You live, you die. Something else lives. It's that's normal. But my my thought process, because we've talked about food waste and stuff like that before, is, is that most restaurants, especially in Durand and places like Montrose and stuff, aren't high end and fine dining. They're blue collar places, which means they have a high they have a very high waste ratio. Some people might think it's the opposite, but the, when you get to the upper echelons of like really high, really high end fine dining, the kind of restaurants we've never even been to, they don't waste anything. They 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 order exactly what they need, and they would they use every single part of the of of the food item. And when they do waste it, it's only because it's already been like like even take onion peels and, and roots and and the little scraps. They still boil that down and make a stock to make a sauce. So by time it gets thrown away, it it's practically nothing anyways. And I then you have that. yeah, that's it's one of those things where people that understand great food and they understand flavors understand and respect mother nature. I'm going to quote Marco Pure White again. He always says mother nature is the true artist. And and if he always says that if you develop a relationship with, with earth, then you will develop a true respect for fine dining and food. And he's right. He is a hundred percent correct. So going back to the mom and pop places that, that do like mainly burgers and that kind of stuff, there's like of every case, let's say like 25 pound box of tomatoes, you're going to throw away probably a third of them mainly because they're, you know, they're grown and like over in Mexico or California or someplace down South, sometimes Florida, sometimes Georgia, but where it's really hot for most of the year, they're picked when they're green. So by the time they get up here, they have died enough. I'm not going to say ripened. They've died enough to turn red because when you pick something off the vine, it just starts the dying process. Most of that gets wasted. A lot of it does. Uh, same thing with like their onion peels and if they're cutting carrots, all the all the skin off the carrots. Potatoes, man. Do you understand like all the flavor of a, of a potato is in the skin? And people are going to argue with me and tell me that Yukon Golds have a buttery taste, and they do. But like if you leave the skin on the potato, it gives a little bitterness to it. 
which kind of really offsets that starchy flavor, which makes it more of a beautiful rounded out flavor instead of just this, hey, let's uh let's let's make a, a mushy vessel for my butter and cream. This is gonna be great. <laughs> which is I mean, that's how most of us eat mashed potatoes. But anyways, to answer your question, I think it's a wonderful idea and I would be fully on board. We'd have to come up with some kind of like composting boxes that we could they could set outside of their back door of their facilities they won't let because they won't let you save the scraps in the building so it'll have to be kept outside and you're going to want something that can neutralize the odor so it reduces um you know animals and stuff like that but i think it's a great idea well and this company was going around with the the large trash cans the ones that we see outside of people's homes that the machine picks up and dumps into the truck so good sized trash cans that were all full they probably mm-hmm. had 10 of them that were full. So people are getting accustomed to walking over there and just putting those scraps in. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of nutrient that could be that could be collected. People could create nonprofits and be able to manage these. I bet still I bet you all things aside, it would be profitable if you just sold high nutrient soil. Uh, you know, you you're adding worms to it, you're doing these things, you're creating a compost. But either way, we're going to need the nutrient. Well, if you want to look at it from a, a financial side, uh, anytime you can take someone else's waste and what you'll probably be getting for almost free and turn it into a marketable product, that that is profitable. I mean, if it wasn't, we wouldn't have recycling plants that pay you for cardboard and stuff like that. Like that's how you're going to make money doing it. Because uh, really all you're doing is just, you're just going to be speeding up the, the natural deterioration of, of organic waste. So I, I don't think it's bad. And I also though, don't necessarily think that you should stray away from like proteins i think that there's no reason why you can't include that i think you can compost it all together i don't see why not and most compost you don't add the fats you don't add the meats and the fats you, it things compost much quicker you get a much richer soil from just your your greens your clippings your leaves so, basic organics i okay so that's fair uh, but why what do you do with the, the meats and the fats and when i say fats i don't mean refined fats i don't mean oils i mean like Look, look, take take bacon. Bacon's an example of a fat. We eat it as a meat, but it's not. It's a fat. Or take a, a, a cut of ribeye where it's got that big fatty circle in the middle of it. Like, what do you do with that kind of stuff? Well, I, when it, you when you put that stuff in your compost, mm-hmm. you get you get less of the 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 anaerobic. Or I'm trying to get the right word. So this how it's going to break down. Raw meat can contaminate the whole pile through bacteria and different things that can actually harm humans. So they, they, it's generally excluded because you don't want E. coli, Lystra, uh, Salmonella being in that compost pile. You're really just trying to break down those organics that break down quickly, turn it, and use it again. Now, I understand that, but what I'm saying is, so what can we do with the other stuff? That's what I'm asking. What are we going to do with that? Because I can promise you those those scraps exist too. So, I mean, I guess we could render them down and then feed it to something else we're just going to eat. I don't, I, I don't, I was just curious. I don't, and when in terms of E. coli and, you know, salmonella and all these, these diseases, um, and I'm not going to go through the big five just because I can't pronounce most of them and I'll sound like a moron more so than I generally do. Those exist in, in nature anyways. Uh, our immune systems are particularly uh, good at squashing them. Most of the time, we probably ingest them on a regular basis, just in such small quantities that they're not, they don't pose a threat. The reason that foodborne illness happens is that when something has, like something has a coli or something, chicken, like they say seven out of 10 you know, pieces of chicken or 
okay, my apologies. Seven out of ten chickens, not pieces of chicken. Seven out of ten chickens, you know, have salmonella, um, which it is a it's a big ratio. Uh, the idea behind it, though, is that if you eat undercooked chicken, every single bite that you eat, if it has salmonella, or that's millions and millions and millions of microbial, you know, bacteria, it's gonna your your system's gonna be overwhelmed, and you're gonna be sick, and then you could possibly die. Like it's really bad. I just wanted to come up with an idea for the proteins because it's just as much, you know, animal waste. Well, and you can, so let, you know, don't get me wrong. It, it it can go back to the earth. It came from, it will go back. Instead of putting it in the compost, you just dig a hole and put it in there. If you've got a worm bin, that's a place it can go to. These are places where it can be processed and that stuff can go away, but it doesn't need to go directly into something that by the following season you may be using. So I, I think I think you had it right when you talked about the high-end restaurants. The first thing you do is look for every way to use the scraps. But I know even myself, I don't. And some of that is lack of knowledge. Some of that is lack of effort. But if you're going to put it somewhere and you want to keep it on your property, which has been my goal this year is to keep as much on my property as possible. You just dig a hole and bury it. Yeah. So I think that when it comes to, well, let me, let me do it this way. Um, in I'm going to call this the outside looking in because most of the places I, I do work and have worked, most of the areas that I service are, you know, are blue collar people. They're not the people that are paying or dining in these upper echelon eating establishments. Most places we have our food system set up. So things are more convenient. Supposedly it's total BS, but it's, it's, more convenient in terms of the food cost and, and production for us but it also means it's it's more of a high waste and it's not that there's not a lot of waste possibly with with using more raw products but that the more basic you go with products the more raw products you have the more of a skill set your staff has to have because no matter who you are and at least in my industry you can't be in the building seven days a week 24 7 and so if you have to maintain a higher step, you know, skill set on your staff. That means you have to have maintain higher pay, higher wages. That means that your training cost goes up because people are always going to leave. It's food service. It's not for everybody. So like, I think the turnover ratio is like 98%. It's, it's outlandish. And so instead of doing what I think restaurants should do, which is you just keep the wheel turning. If you have a certain set of procedures, you instill them in everyone that works there. You maintain that that the, the you know that level of standard, and you keep teaching people new skills. But people don't like to do that. They get personally invested in their businesses. In emo- I'm sorry, emotionally invested in it. They take it personally, and people leave. And so they they go to these other these other ways of doing things. And what you end up is a whole different level of waste. And 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 you may not see it in the numbers, but if you actually pay attention to the bin, you'll see it in the trash. And I like it, it's terrible with refined fat products, like anything deep fried. It's horrible. You know, you a people want it and they want huge portions of it. They don't want to pay for it. And then it gets thrown away and wasted. And if you're talking about it being in it, like things that are like high in fat and oil, not being in the same compost as standard food. Well, that really kind of eliminates a huge part of the American diet. I mean, I've always said people like, why is America fat? I've always said deep fried vegetables. And I, I maintain that terminology. It, we take something beautiful and delicious, wrap it and bread and fry it. Well, and I, I think what, so what you're saying is, is a lot of the waste will come from things we can't use, but I think a lot of it happens behind the scenes, the prep. It's been a lot of years since I've worked in a kitchen. I did it as a kid, but we threw out more prepping food than we did, especially like the salad bar stuff, mm-hmm. cutting things up, cutting the ends off, taking, peeling back the lettuces and throwing the outsides away. Mm-hmm. 
we had a much larger waste from that than what came back on people's plates. Because here's the deal. You're not going to take the salad from someone who just poured ranch all over it and throw it in that same bin either. You want these raw organics. And that goes good with the leaves that we usually get rid of around town. And, you know, all these things are rich that we can reuse, but they can't be mixed with those processed foods. Well, and that's and what I was trying to say, and I don't think I, I said it in a clear manner, which <laughs> big surprise. Uh, what I was trying to say, though, is that in, in the food service industry's attempt to reduce prep waste, they've moved in directions that just shift the waste. So now prices are going up. Food is getting easier to make, which means it's getting lower quality, which means the waste comes back in the bin, which means it can't be used is what I'm saying. Uh, because the the employers or the, the employers for starters don't really hire chefs that are trained. They hire kids and turn them into line cooks. So they're not getting a lot of raw products and they're not getting like, you're not getting a full side of beef in. you're not getting even a full loin. You're getting prepackaged wrapped up steaks. Like there's the opportunity to utilize waste is taken out completely is what I'm saying. Mm, so okay. it would be a lot more, in my opinion, economical and much, much better for the earth if every restaurant, like instead of ordering steaks every week, got in, you know, a side of beef maybe once every two or three months and broken down themselves, cut the loins, cut the steaks, rendered the fat down, kept the bones, like literally use the bones to make their 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 base for their soups and you render the fat and use that to fry your foods in. Like you could utilize every part of the animal. So there's minimal waste, but that's, those aren't skills that are taught anymore. If you go to culinary school, they're taught. If you work at a fi- high end fine dining restaurant where they break those animals down on a regular basis, that's all taught, but it's not taught in your diner down the road. Your smokehouse isn't going to do that. And I'm not trying to knock down everything and sound like some judgmental mean person, I'm just saying that like there's a whole skill set that leads to what you want to do. It's 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 how things used to be done. That was part of our normal life. And now it's only done in the the certain certain demographics, certain certain economic classes. Because and I'm gonna use one of your terminologies, you've always talked about poor taxes. There are so many things we've done out of convenience for a majority of people in in this country that only exist in a certain financial demographic. I would like to see that change. Like I, I never set like I've never set out to change. Uh, how what's the term? I don't want to reinvent the wheel, but I want to make it spin faster. Like I want to change food culture. That's where we always talk. We get in these conversations, and I go on rants about food because I, it's important to me. Right. Well, it makes me wonder now how much how much of the food that went into those bins shouldn't have been in those bins, or if they policed it well up to this point. But all of it. The well, I mean. If it wasn't going to be used, then how much of that food was contaminated in a way that they wouldn't want to be able to use it for the composting? Well, okay. If we're talking raw products, let me let me, let me pose a question in return. How much of it was safe to eat? Well, and I bet you most of it, if not all then, of it. Then the answer is all of it. Safe. If, if you have a business and you've 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 driven you've gotten all the financial, you know, rewards out of your product you can, why can't you take the scraps and do something positive? Right. Yes. Am I, am, am I, am I suggesting people pay a little extra labor and let's say make food to be donated to a soup kitchen or feed the, feed the homeless or take it to a farm and feed it to pigs? Could you keep it out of the bin? Yeah, there are ways. I promise. Okay. <laughs> well, and that, and that, 
this was just what the thing that was kept popping into my head the moment I saw these pictures is all of this food. And that's what I like about this conversation. I am not necessarily the expert on what to do with food. It just, I like to think about it in a sustainability factor. We have this long line of bins with all this in there. First of all, it's not in the city trash can, so it is slightly better in that sense, but you, then you bring in a new perspective of, well, it should have been consumed in some way. I'm glad we had this conversation, and I'm glad we got to talk about it, because this is something that I think sometimes we second nature toss out when we, if we stop and think about it, there's almost always a use. And, well, let me take this back. There's always a use, because I keep hedging my bets on how I say it. And you keep saying, no, it can be used. If it's edible, it can be used. If not for you, make a friend who's a farmer, right? Well, I just, yeah, I just think that there's like most things we talk about, you know, most things live in the gray. There's black and white, right and wrong, but life live, life exists in the gray in between. And for every topic we go over, like I said, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about the food ones and I seem a little, um, a little more hard pressed to be, (laughs) movable on it i'm I'm, i i believe in my heart and in my soul that you can do more with less and waste less than people realize part of it's a lack of education and and i say education i just mean in particular topics part of it is a lack of time a lack of energy a lack of willingness to to make a change And, and i'm not even talking major things like if you decide one night hey we want blt sandwiches Okay, so when you're when you're making your BLT, the average person just cuts off the top of the tomato where the core is. They slice up the middle and they throw the top and the and the very back of it away. That's the average people do. So could you take an extra five seconds, take a little knife and cut that core out and cut the very back of the the you know the core out and then use that entire tomato in a sandwich? You absolutely could. You absolutely could. And then at that point, if you're disposing anything, you're disposing what people would deem as inedible. Now, is it inedible? No, you can eat it. Your body will digest it. Is it fun? No, it's gross. Same thing with like things like kiwis. Kiwis are a great example of a fruit that the whole thing is edible. You can eat any fruit. You can eat, you can eat the rind. I'm not saying it's going to be enjoyable, but you can. Um, a kiwi, you could just eat a kiwi. It, it, the texture is unnerving. Or you can, you know, you can peel your kiwi. Kiwi, sorry, I misspoke. You can peel your kiwi. And then you can compost the skin. Right. You know, it's packed full of nutrients. Well, and that's so, that's one of the reasons why I like having these conversations, because this is the kind of show where you get to go through and start telling us all these wonderful things. So it's funny. What? This is an unscripted show completely. All I wanted, all I had was the fact that, the, that these pictures were being sent to me. And again, I still stand by the point. If you see something cool that's sustainability based, send it over to me on the greeting site. You could use the messenger portion to send it. I want to see them you know, or just post them on the site. Those are the things that I like because it creates this thought, it creates this discussion, and we start looking for better ways to do things. So I do appreciate that. I, I And I agree with that. I think that every good idea is one rich person away from becoming a movement. So what I mean by that is every every place you look in this world, you're going to find really great things. You are. There's going to be great stuff in places. But Sometimes word of mouth isn't enough. Sometimes it moves too slow. Sometimes someone that has a little more pull, a little more financial ability to really shift things just needs to see the right thing. And so I think that the sharing of ideas is, is essential to the advancement of anything we want to do in life. Any goal, any single goal we set, the best thing we can do is talk about it and keep it fresh in our minds. 
Well said. Well said. So that's all we had for this week. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. If you want to support realistic sustainability, I think we all know what to do. Click the five-star reviews. You know I'm going to read them. You know I'm going to talk about them. So if you get that opportunity, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And last, if you really want to help realistic sustainability and you feel like this show brings you some kind of value, go to greetingyourlife.org forward slash podcast, and that's where you can donate to us. It could be as little as 99 cents a month, and we appreciate each and every person who does that. Thank you so very much. And remember, we only get together each week to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air.